Welcome to Teacher Quit Talk. I'm Miss Redacted. And I'm Mrs. Frazzled. Every week we explore the teacher exodus to find out what, if anything, could get these educators back in the classroom. We've all had our moments where we thought, what the hell am I doing here? From burnout to bureaucracy to soul-sucking stressors and creative dead ends. From recognizing when it was time to go to navigating feelings of guilt and regret afterwards, we're here to cut out the gaslighting and get real about what it means to leave teaching. We've got insights from former teachers from all over the country who have seen it all. So get ready to be disturbed. Join us on Teacher Quit talk to laugh through the pain of the U.S. education system. We'll see you there. Hi, I'm Frances Callier. And I'm Angela V. Shelton. And we're Frangela. You know what you need in your life? Hmm. The Final Word Podcast. Yes, you do. That's right. It is the final word on all things political and pop cultural. Where we make real news real funny. Where we inspire you so you can hashtag resist. Subscribe and get a new episode of the Final Word Podcast each week. It's the news we think you need to hear. That's right. We think you need to hear it. Okay? Yeah, it's what we say so. That's right. And because all we do is give, every Thursday you can listen to our hysterical podcast, Idiot of the Week. We round up the stupid because you know what? Somebody has to. Okay. All we do is give. This is Prevail. Welcome to the program. We've got a great show. Nia Molinari is here. She's a retired stripper, a mob watcher, a screenwriter, and a contributor to my Prevail Substack. We have a fascinating conversation about Tucker Carlson, about Dennis Hoff, the dead pimp, who was Tucker Carlson's buddy, about Serbian mobsters, about the five families, about her time working as a stripper in Vegas and then in New York City in 1999, and about Rudolph Giuliani. And she tells her excellent Fuck Giuliani story, which is just wonderful to hear her say. I've read it before uh, on my site, but to, to hear it is really something. So stick around for that I want to thank Allison Gill for putting me in the Daily Beans slot in the feed last week. We got a lot more downloads than usual, which was nice. And uh, if any of you heard me for the first time last week and are joining me again today, hey, thanks. I'm, I'm glad to have you aboard. And you've, you've picked a good show to come to. This is going to be a good one. I'm recording this on Thursday morning. It is the 16th of March. It is 7.36 a.m., I have a sneaking suspicion that a lot of stuff is going to break today or early tomorrow, and it's very difficult <laughs> doing these intros and trying to predict what might happen. Maybe nothing will happen. I don't know. But my God, there was a lot of activity this week in terms of potential Trump indictments, just lots of activity and uh, with Stormy Daniels and Michael Cohen and all these players that we remember from years ago suddenly coming back to the stage. It feels like something's up. Trump's reaction, too, is is kind of, I mean, I've, I've stopped really paying that much attention to the stuff he truth socials out, but um, it, 
he's becoming more and more deranged in, in, in that. And uh, I don't know. That's usually a tell that he's nervous. So I don't know. Maybe nothing will happen. Maybe you'll be listening to this and being like, yeah, nothing happened yesterday. But maybe something will. I don't know. Impossible to predict. I'm not going to try. That's enough of my prattle up front. This is a great conversation. If you like uh, the mob and New York City and strippers. So stick around. We'll be right back with Nia Molinari. Let me guess. You watch SVB and Signature go belly up and you think, is my money safe? It's my financial institution, Fanuc. How can I make sure I ain't using a woke bank? Hi, I'm Nunzio Siccarelli, president of the Bank at the Bada Bing. And if you want to make sure your bank is straight, we're the ones for you. At the Bada Bing, there's none of this woke management. Our bank is run exclusively by white guys. White wise guys. My cousin Carmine has a gumar that's half Puerto Rican, but that's as diverse as we get. Our bathroom policy is simple. You can't use the ladies if you was born with Stugats. And I don't care if some Beltway pricks say it's a federal holiday now. We stay open on Juneteenth. So whether you're looking for home improvement loans to buy a new gas stove, auto loans to purchase an F-150 with a big flagpole attached, or small business loans to start your very own crypto exchange, the Bada Bing is your anti-woke lender of choice. The bank of the Bada Bing. If you get too woke, we'll knock you the fuck out. And now, back to the show. Nia Malinari, welcome back to the Prevail Podcast. Well, hello there. Thank for you people, for having me. You're very welcome. Uh, thank you for taking the time. Uh, so for people who don't know, uh, you've written, uh, I think, four pieces now for Prevail, for my Substack. Four, five, I've lost track. You wrote a piece about Tucker Carlson. Rudy, January 6th. And Michael Michael. Yeah. Tucker, and then uh, about this Michael Michael. Yeah. That's four, right? Four. And then another one is coming or is threatening yep. to come at some point. Uh, <laughs> so she went on it like a hairball. Yeah, you know. Um, so for people who don't know who you are, why don't you give a little background about how uh you got interested in interested in these in these stories about underground people? Like you have a you you're you're a retired stripper. So you have an interesting insight into uh, what happened in these places. And you were closer to a lot of the fucketeers, at least closer in removes than other people, I think, have been. Well, I contacted you originally because I saw the piece about Trump being a rat. Yeah. And I had thought that since July 2016, it dawned on me because I was sitting there thinking about my own life experiences. And... It dawned on me someone I knew I realized was a rat. And then all of a sudden that connection fired off other connections in my brain. And I went, oh my God, Trump's a fucking rat. And then I found your piece and I contacted you and I said, oh, by the way, I love that piece. Uh, but I have this crazy ass story about a mob run club in New York City in 99 about Rudy Giuliani. And it's crazy. And I don't know if it's relevant to politics or not, but you know, and then you emailed me back and said, what's this story? So yeah. that's how we, that's how this happened. That's how that happened. So I want to cover, I want to talk about that story, uh, which again, you were in New York city in 1999. Yeah. You're not 
from New York and you're not usually no. working in New York. So this was a this was like a blip for you in your career, which I think is also interesting because you came into a place at a very specific moment and observed things. Um, you also, <laughs> yeah. you write about this in, in, in one of the pieces. Now I can't remember which one. You, when you worked in these clubs, the the guys that ran the clubs that were connected guys looked to you because you seem to have a sixth sense oh, yeah, that for was, people that, 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 you know, things that might go awry, people that might be suspicious, whatever. That was the Michael Michael piece. Um, yes. I was a boarding school brat like Tucker Carlson that rebelled from my family and ran off and became a stripper and ended up in Vegas working at a club. And I felt like Dory from Finding Nemo. I was like, just wandering around. I was like, okay, well, the mob, Lucky Luciano, whatever. I'm like, that shit doesn't really exist anymore because I'm from the suburbs and I'm a boarding school brat. And they thought because of my looks, my 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 genetic heritage, they were they they thought I was Italian. Um, I'm Irish and Native American. I was raised white though, and white Republican suburban Goldwater and. And they just kind of kept an eye on me. And then all of a sudden, I'll never forget the day, though, that I was walking around the club in Vegas and there was this interaction that they used to sit around this one bar and talk to each other like a casino with like their fingers in their mouth and the toothpicks. And all of a sudden I walked by and this guy was talking to my boss and he tapped him and then he pointed at me and And then my boss, he looked back at me and kind of like raised his eyebrows. And I just sat there for a second. And all of a sudden the light bulb went off on the back of my head. And I realized where I was and what I was surrounded by. So were you scared? Was it a fear thing or was it a... No, no. It it was a, oh shit, this isn't a movie. This is real. Yeah. And the... the rest of the time I was working there, I didn't want any, I, I, I made it clear that I didn't want to know anything. This is my dance space, this is your dance space. I don't, you know, no matter how many times you try to engage me, I, 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 yeah, no, we're going over here, we're over here. They tried to date me, they tried, you know, I didn't, I was like, nope, once I realized what was going on. But we had a good, we trusted each other. Yeah. So it was straight, but I didn't know who they were connected to. I didn't know the details because the internet didn't exist. And then it was after the New York trip that I started searching on the internet and I still couldn't find anything, even though I knew names, which I thought was interesting, but we'll get into that. <laughs> no, we had a understanding, but it it's very weird to be immersed in it as a subculture when you're not raised in it. I feel like I've had like four lives Okay. And that was the third. <laughs> yeah. As you're talking about multiple lives, the cat that is behind you is staring right at me into the, like, oh, multiple lives. Someone's talking about multiple lives. Like, like he has something to say. Is this a quantum entanglement? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So you're there and you're kind of a, you're, you're not of that world, but the people in that world recognize that they can trust you, which I think is important because my guess is, you know, uh, a lot of people in that world certainly can't be trusted. They're there for different reasons. They're, you know, there's probably, I imagine, abuse of of alcohol and drugs to some degree. Um, maybe I'm I wrong. did that too. Yeah, yeah, I went uh, through that phase. But things that make necessarily harder, maybe, to trust somebody with secrets is what I'm getting at. So 
Uh, oh yeah, and then those yeah. people disappear. Yeah. So okay, I'm, we're gonna get to all of the the Giuliani stuff because I wanna I wanna have like the second part be about Giuliani because I want to spend the most time on him because it's such a weird messed up thing and he's so I can't believe he hasn't been arrested yet. Honestly, I can't believe he's still around. You you, you texted me the he's on TV. I mean, it's Newsmax, so I don't know if that is actually TV. That doesn't but, really count. But. Yeah, he's talking about you know trying to. Trump shouldn't be indicted because blah, blah, blah. Oh, no, because, you know, Bill Clinton wasn't indicted for Hillary or for Monica Lewinsky. So it's like, wait, none of this has anything to do with anything. What, what do you the jibber jabber is incessant. It's like we're all exhausted yeah. from the constant jibber jabber and the constant word salad and the constant rage. There's so many wheels or so many cogs in this wheel that like you think that that's the evil guy when you start to pay attention to things and you yeah. focus on it and that's what the maga crowd does they do the black and white thinking and they there's the devil that's the devil yeah and there it is but they're not looking at what's connecting to everything they're being told that's the devil so that's the devil but if you actually look at that and then what you for over the last seven years now you like go okay trump's a dick that's a psycho what's going on here okay but this happened then this happened then this person's connected to that person and this and that and wait that's the devil no that's the devil that's the devil that taught that devil and next right. thing you know you you've got a gaggle of demons that pandemonium is what you have pandemonium <sighs> yeah. literally yeah in, in the archaic sense yes so, no, I try to write about this on my site every once in a while. I'll have a piece that that's the man in the middle. And I take one of these people and look at all the connections that they have, not for any reason other than to even for myself, try to make sense of it, because you're right. There's, you know, you, there's cross references that go on. But I think one of the mistakes people make when thinking about this stuff is that there is this monolithic evil force that's working in concert all the time. And I don't think that that's the case. I think there's lots and lots of different malevolent forces that sometimes join forces when it suits their needs and sometimes work against each other when it doesn't, motivated by greed and power and whatever else, whatever other you know deadly sins you want to uh, throw out there. But the idea, like you say, that it's just, this is the devil, let's get him, is not the way to attack this mentally. No, because if you think about the whole Rudy thing, there's that whole level of hell. And yeah. then, <laughs> then yeah. and then you go over here and there's the whole techie Peter Thiel level of hell. Yep. And they end up colliding after a long period of time and it's exhausting. It is exactly. It's like you're trying to do a taxonomy of this. We're trying to. This is a different strain of the evil virus or whatever. It, it, it it's uh, it's hard. It is. It is exhausting. It's exhausting to to be vigilant about it. It's exhausting to keep examining it, and it's frustrating because they have so much fucking money, uh, you know that it's like why why do these people have all the money? It's very very frustrating. They want the situation like is in in Russia where they're the oligarchs and. There's this whole plutocracy and yeah. Speaking of Russia and plutocracy, um, let's talk about Tucker Carlson a bit because the last time you were on the show, 
Uh, we talked about Tucker Carlson pretty much the whole time because you wrote a piece about him and his friendship with with the dead pimp, uh, Dennis Hoff, uh, which is weird. There's like weird. There's a lot there's of some weird, weird shit there. data points with Tucker Carlson. Now, that was a while ago. Was it was it, uh, over a year ago, almost a year and a half ago that you were on Tucker Carlson since then has gotten way weirder, way more Putin centric way more doubling down on the bullshit even as we're recording this which is it's now it's march 11th uh we're in the midst of the dominion lawsuit we know what tucker carlson's true feelings are about trump he can't stand the guy he thinks he's an asshole we yeah. know that they knew all that that the uh the stop the steal and the and the you know all that stuff the big lie was was phony baloney they knew the dominion lawsuit was shit they knew that the election was legit and yet they kept feeding it and Tucker now, even as this is happening in the background, is trying to paint J6, which was armed besiegers storming the Capitol to try to end democracy in this country and install their puppet overlord as president for life. That's what happened that day. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there was violence. There were people chanting, hang Mike Pence. There was shit smeared on the walls. People burst into Nancy Pelosi's office. It was, and if they found her there, I don't think they were going to sit there and have tea with her. You know, this was a violent no. thing that happened. Uh, police officers died. It was, it's bad. So Tucker knows this and has been trying to present it to his moron viewers, his, his radicalized, brainwashed uh, viewers as some sort of counter narrative and knowing full well that he's full of shit. So I guess my question is, what have you observed about Tucker lately uh, that, you know, has struck you as odd or, or more of a, an exaggerated way of being from before? Like, do you, do you think he's getting worse than he was? Like crazier, more manic? Like, what's your take on him now? I think he has to double down because he doesn't have a choice at this point. I'm, I'm convinced that something weird happened like back in like between 2006 and 2008 that got him caught up in some shit. Why those years? I don't know, because, you know, if you think about it, there's that whole thing in the, that I discovered where he hated Grover Norquist because of some shit with his dad. Mm, okay. And then all of a sudden in 2008, they're at the Republican convention, uh, one of them, and they're talking again and they're they're fine in 2007 or eight or whatever. And all of a sudden it's like all forgiven and he hated him. So you're like, that's odd. And this is all at the same time that he's talking Dennis Hoff into backing Ron Paul and showing up with the hookers at the fucking campaign things. Yeah. And then all of a sudden years later, when, when Dennis Hoff decides to run for office in Nevada, um, Tucker introduced Roger Stone to Dennis Hoff. Okay. And when Dennis Hoff died in 2000, you know, right before he, the election in 2018, Tucker wasn't at the birthday party the night before, but Grover Norquist was and Joe Arpaio and Ron Jeremy. It, after that happened, they all got a little crazier after the midterms in 2018. Yeah. So Hoff so died just, in 2018, right before, like between you the know, midterm election. The election. Yeah. Before the ele in before election day. Yeah. Okay. And he had his birthday party. And then they voted for him and he won. The right, dead pimp they won. They would rather have a dead pimp than a living Democrat who is a non-pimp. Exactly. Yeah. Good job, Nevada. 
Uh, so, and then he had a birthday party, which was, I guess, his last birthday party. And these were people that attended Grover Norquist and uh-huh. Arpeo. That's seems like a fun group. Oh, Not, yeah. good Lord. And then I, you start thinking about it. If you go back and you find videos of what Dennis Hoff's birthday parties looked like, you can find them on YouTube going way back to like when Cat House was on the air and stuff in 2006, seven. When you think about the fact that Tucker Carlson was hanging out there, when you watch what's going on, yeah, you're like, okay, that's interesting. So and especially since there's cameras in the brothels because they were shooting a show. Yeah. So, you know, again, this guy, he's a pimp and he owns a legal brothel or brothels in the state of Nevada, which is the only place where prostitution is is legal. And his birthday parties are not like church events. They're not like, hey, let's have the let's have the pancake breakfast at the church and then uh, go pray. It's not that kind of thing. It's exactly what you would expect a pimp's birthday to be like in 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 effect yeah oh yeah oh no they're insane it's a den of iniquity yeah and tucker carlson is buddies with this guy somehow we don't really know how or why yeah yeah dennis hoff said that you know tuck he would touch sucker every day and you're like okay that's weird and i just started thinking about again reference back to when i was working in the clubs in retrospect i started figuring out that yes they would use honeypots yeah on politicians and shit like that there was a ring of girls that would work that worked none of it ever happened in the club and right. i never got involved in it but i knew girls that did okay and there were parties like that that i'm sure some politicians and cops and things like that were at that could be used against them later yeah well this isn't this isn't like some radical idea. First of all, it's an every no, movie. No, honeypots have been used. Also, you know, Kushner's dad did this to his own uh, brother-in-law, you know, with the honeypot yeah. thing. Like, it's not like a yeah. crazy thing that Republicans would do this. Not that it's only Republicans. I should qualify. I'm sure the honeypot thing works equally well. The honeypot. Yeah, I know. It, it's a bipartisan problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to make a joke with bipartisan, but I, it's it's not common. I, I don't know oh, actually, no, that's that's valid too. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. The whole thing with Tucker is it, it is very strange. And what's the age gap between them? Hoff is older, right? Or no? Yeah, Hoff. Probably about 15, 20 years older. I, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, because that matters too, like in the in the dynamics of the relationship. Like, I think the dynamics of of relationships, especially in with people in power, is something that you know when you look at it from a point of view of age and experience and stuff like that, it matters. I was reading this book about the Gulf War, written by um, MacArthur. This is his last name. Um, I think oh. from the same family that does the the awards. Brilliant book. Um, and he was talking about just the relationship between Bush, W. Bush and Dick Cheney and the fact that Cheney's much older and was always mm-hmm. seen almost as this surrogate dad figure, he and Rumsfeld. So for Bush to, at the especially at the beginning of his term, he's going to really lean on those guys because he's known them for many years. He trusts them implicitly and he views them in the same sort of way that he views his own dad. And in some cases, maybe even better because it doesn't, there's not any of the familial stuff that gets complicated and it was only after the the failures of you know the initial wave of things 
when he realized these guys were not right. And you see it in the second term. He does distance himself more from Cheney and things mm-hmm. do get, you know, a little bit better um, in, in some ways, notwithstanding the entire almost crash of the global economy. You know, that that did happen on his watch, too. But um, so, again, it's interesting to think about like the age gaps and, you know, who looks at who in a certain way and where where the real power is, because that, you know, somebody being older than you and having more experience and this and that does give that person a little bit more power in certain dynamics. Tucker seems to me to be somebody who likes to learn from people that are older. Like he doesn't seem like a guy who thinks he knows it all. You know, even going back to his time on Crossfire when he was the youngest person there, you know, he was very comfortable with everybody, but he also, you know, I think looked up to like, you know, Bob Novak and the guys that were on that show with him. Um, so No, okay, but I, I honestly, you know, I was watching footage of him in like 2006 and 2007 and something dark happened something happened and i don't know whatever whatever it is and it may be nothing we're just speculating here oh Uh, i i just like tucker i'm just asking questions just asking questions the fact (laughs) remains that the guy especially recently he's clearly pro-putin he's gone to hungary to fluff orban on his show and boost up this illiberal quote-unquote democracy He's Who spread, is, his dad works for. Yeah, I, I think the dad's lobbying thing is a little more tenuous. It's not a direct. Uh, his dad, no. is, for people listening, is is his name Dick. Of course, it is Dick Carlson. Um, and <laughs> you know, long he worked for. Um, he's a media guy, and he worked with um, Voice of he ran Voice of America, and so so he knows a lot about during the media. Reagan. Yeah, and uh, the consulting group that he was working for apparently did some consulting work with the so it's it's not like he personally necessarily is being he's not directly no No. I don't don't think so but I I just want to make it clear it's not I don't think he is too I don't think that they're having said that there's there's the sympathy is clearly there you know that uh, yes yeah and there's something weird there's the j6 shit there's the 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 vaccine skepticism you know and now the stuff about the you know the no the smoking I mean he's just I don't know if he's a, just a troll or a, a, a or he gets off on on just being contrarian, but this is if he were a you know an active asset of some sort of hostile power, he would not be behaving any differently than he is right now. The same is true of Rupert Murdoch, frankly. You know, I know these guys are just correct greedy fucks, but they are also. I mean, I don't know how would it be different if uh, if they if they were completely owned by foreign powers and the answer is not much not much from what we're seeing so um no it's true and that's what makes you question it yeah even if it's not true it appears that way so it makes you question it yeah and i think it's valid it's valid to question why is this guy who has the top rated cable news show in the united states why is he um a shill for dictators and enemies of the united states why is that I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, yeah. but you know, it, it, we don't that's know a question the answer that has to be asked. So, um, okay. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with Nia Molinari. Okay. We're back with Nia Molinari, not her cat um, who has vanished, I think into the ether. No, she's right here. Oh, she's right out. She's off to the side now. She's like, this part of the conversation doesn't concern me. I want to talk about the Michael Michael piece that you wrote because 
I had never heard of this guy. His real name is Maleta Mikanyech, I think. Oh, God, uh, I can never pronounce it Maleta correctly. Mikan- M- Maleta. Yeah, but they call him Michael Michael, and he's he's Serbian, and he's in a, mm-hmm. he's the head of, of Group America, yeah, which is basically an organized crime group, alleged, so alleged, that does a lot of, you know, nefarious activity in the United States. And he basically got arrested on this gun charge and was held for a long time uh, before going to trial. So uh, tell us a little bit about this guy and the story and what what was it exactly that got this on your radar? Um, what caught me on the radar of this is because I, I have a thing for like, you know, uh, reading uh, Jerry Capici's Gangland. Yeah. <laughs> he's been writing about, he's kind of like the gossip columnist of the mob in New York, and he has been for decades. And I came across, all of a sudden one day, he, I saw that there was this Serbian arrested, and it was connected to the Gambinos. And so whenever I see Gambinos, my my light bulb goes off, and I, and I dive deeper into that. And... I just got sucked into this whole hole because all of a sudden he's involved with construction and the labor unions and the all this, that, and the other, and all these people. But they they got him on this gun charge while searching for something else. And they held him. And he had escaped. He escaped from jail in Italy. Or no, he was like let out on like release for like like an ankle bracelet thing. And then he just took off and went back to New York. But this guy it's very weird that it was like this Serbian guy connected to the Gambitos. And when you dive deeper, you realize that his boss before him. Boschko. Boschko. Yeah. Yeah. Who ran the Westies in the eighties while the Westies dudes were in jail during Rudy Giuliani being in a, a DA or whatever he, yeah that he was doing when he was taking down the five families. This guy was around during then. So again, there's something about the connection of it all together that this guy was actually probably one of the muscles that would threaten people so Gotti would get off the Teflon Don. The uh, Bosco actually, oh God, see, too many spinning wheels. There's too many things going on. You have too many people connected to too many people and your brain just misfires. It's like having too many windows open on your computer. It just starts to clog your brain. Um, We need defrag, yeah. Bosco was running the Westies and he was responsible for bribing the juror that got John Gotti off. And I think it was like 87. Yeah. And Maletta, Michael Michael, was working for Bosco then. And then when the whole crackdown happened, they took off and went back to like Yugoslavia. Then the Yugoslav war happened and then all the Balkan stuff started splitting up and crazy. But it's all connected again because now all of a sudden, what, 40 years later almost? This guy sitting in jail for a gun charge because they were searching his apartment or his house to look for connections to a construction racket connected to the Gambinos. And the Gambinos are the family that Rudy didn't take down. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It's so hard to, it's like you you start to feel like that person with the whiteboard that's looking like a conspiracy theorist, crazy person. Yeah. 
because you're like, oh, here, and this connects to that, and this connects to that, and this connects to that. And that's what's happening here with the Gambinos. So I started paying attention to that. He's still sitting in jail. I just looked the other day and he's still sitting in jail. They tried to get him out as time served on the gun charge thing. But then as soon as he walked out, uh, apparently one of the DAs, they arrested him again as he walked out and he's being held for something else. I don't, I don't even, I think they're trying to flip him. I don't know. It's interesting. So, um, and he is a dangerous motherfucker. Yeah. Yeah. Grupo America is a dangerous, dangerous Balkan organized crime group. Not a bunch of pacifists, they, for sure. No, uh, no. So this ties into the Giuliani thing. So we're going to get, you know, we've come to the part of the podcast where it's t- almost time to tell the Giuliani story. But I want to mention something else that you put in your piece about about Michael Michael, which is when Giuliani was um, doing the commission trials, one of the, the guys that was working f- with him, Walter Mack, uh, there's a quote, and he said, uh, the commission case seems intended more for publicity than impact on the mafia. That's what he said. And yeah. this is a Rudy Hallmark. Rudy is the guy that invented the perp walk. That was Rudy's, he invented that. The whole 9-11 thing where Rudy just against the advice of literally every single person in his inner circle um, said, no, we must keep the Office of Emergency Management at the World Trade Center. Uh, What happened then when the Trade Center went down is that Rudy was in the street because he didn't have anywhere else to go. And, you know, that was terribly inefficient as uh, a way of, of keeping order, but it was really good television. The optics were great. There's the mayor heroically striding through the street because blah blah blah. So Rudy's always no, no, he's very he, yeah. No, he he's an he loves the parade. Yeah, yeah, to parade himself around is look what I did. Yeah, yeah. but it's all questionable. Yeah. Right. Um, so okay, so why don't you tell your your Rudy story? So I, I I'll set it up a little bit. So you're again, wait. you were working in Las Vegas as a stripper. And you decide to come to New York City in 1990. I left. Uh, I hadn't been working in Vegas. I was still working in Los Angeles, but I hadn't been working in Vegas for a few years. That's another story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I left. Um, I decided after a, a relationship ended that I ne- I just wanted to get out. And I hadn't been to New York City since 88. So I decided that I wanted to go to New York City and I had a girlfriend that lived on the Upper West Side. So I called my previous boss in Vegas and I asked him for a referral of a club in New York City. And I went back East. I went back East and decided I would just spend a few months in New York. And it doesn't matter if I work there or work here. You know, that's one of those things about <laughs> having that job. Is it's portable. Kind of, yeah, it's yeah. mobile. So I landed in he tells me where to go and he tells me what to say when I get there. I was like, okay, thank you. And I land in New York and I go down to the club. (laughs) I think it was Chelsea and it had the whole elaborate thing and the double decker club. It was gorgeous and velvet rope. And then the big thick neck guy at the rope. And I walk up and does the head thing. And you're like, I'm like, okay. I said what I was supposed to say and he opened the door. I walked in and it was really bizarre because I walked in and it was completely dead. It was like, nobody was in there. 
Was this during the afternoon or at night or what? I don't understand. Oh, dude, it was it, it was like seven or eight at night. It was dark. So I must have gone down at like eight or nine. Okay. Usually between seven and nine early in the night is when they have you come down and audition. So it was around then. But okay. I didn't have to audition because I said, the, said what I said at the door. <laughs> right. Which I'm not going to say what I said. No. <laughs> so... I walk in and I'm just baffled because it was completely dead and it was a topless bar, but nobody was allowed to take their top off. Something had happened and I didn't know what was going on. And there was hardly any girls working there. Everybody was cranky. There was no clientele, like a spatter, two or three people. And it was this monstrous gentleman's club mm -hmm. with no one in it. And I sit at the bar and of course, behind the bar, there's a big fish tank with sharks in it. <laughs> <laughs> ambience. I'm like, okay. Yeah. 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 Gotta have the ambience. And the guy walks over and he's like, hey, can I get you a drink? And I'm like, yeah, sure. I'll take this. You don't know. Who's the manager? Give an application. And I look at the bartender and I say, what's going on here? Why is it so dead? He's like, fucking Giuliani. I'm like, okay. I'm not going to ask questions, you know. I don't know who the fuck Giuliani is, but fucking Giuliani. So, all right, that's happening. And I didn't know who he was because I was from the West Coast and I was young. And uh, <laughs> so then I fill out the application. The guy gives me the job. They give me free drinks. And they tell me, he, the guy says, well, we're having a zoning problem right now. So we can't take our tops off and you can't do the lap dances and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, Okay. And I'm like, why? And he goes, fuck Giuliani. And he walks away. <laughs> I'm like, okay, no problem. So I worked and it was dead as shit that night. And I was sitting at the bar and then all of a sudden this girl comes storming out of the back, out of the dressing room. And she's dragging her stewardess suitcase with her and miscellaneous shit's flying everywhere. And she's just raging and you know she's probably cracked out too but she's raging and she's flying by and runs out the door and I'm like okay whatever I'll have another drink then five minutes later two cops come in and they sit at the bar and they just got this exasperated face there's a lot of sitting around with exasperated faces in the Italian way okay and yeah it's fuck so they're sitting there and the cops come in and I'm like what happened? And they're like, oh, one of the girls hit the manager with a fucking curling iron. I'm like, a curling iron? And he goes, yeah, it was a hot curling iron. And I'm like, okay, why? She wanted her funny money cashed out. He wouldn't cash out her funny money. I'm like, okay, so we have a funny money problem as well because they don't have the money to pay out funny money. You know, Giuliani's, and I'm like, okay. This went on all night long, just drama and boredom and fucking Giuliani. And so I leave and I'm like, I, I'm not gonna make any money here. I don't know what I'm gonna do. I don't know where else to go. So then I just start looking around where these other clubs are, what's going on. And the one that was really busy, that's really famous is called Scores. Mm -hmm. It's a gentleman's club that was on East 60th by the bridge. And it's, I think now it's Sapphires. So I go over to Scores. And I didn't want to go there because it's a gown club. 
in a gown club means you've got to wear, you got to look like you're going like to the prom or something like to the stripper Miss America, you know, Okay. you got to wear gowns and on the floor and they're like, you can't wear boots and you can't cover your tattoos. <laughs> you're like, okay, this is a strip club. This is stupid. Um, so I get there, I walk in, it's Tuesday night and it's fucking packed wall to wall. Mm. It's a very famous strip club. Yeah. And it, it, yeah. it was the most, it was the most famous one in the country at the time, I think. It was a metonym sort of for for strip clubs in general in New York at that time. People would be like, oh, yeah, you know, um, they would joke about it. We want to go to scores. People that had never been there and never, you know, it just it it equaled strip clubs. The same thing. It was like, yeah, yeah, it was it was insane. It was really famous. So I walk in and, you know, you got the guys in the suits with a little earpiece. Think act like they're, you know, protecting the president. (laughs) You walk in and the guy's like, Hey, can I help you? I'm like, yeah, I want to apply for a job. And I fill out the application, sit at the bar, I'm waiting. And then the guy with the fucking earpiece comes back and he reads my application and he just looks at the looks at the thing, looks at me, looks at the thing, looks at me. Okay, go to the back, get dressed, come back out. Okay, come back out. I'm wearing it. A fucking gown, yeah, and pumps, and they take me over to this. It was probably two feet, three feet, three feet in diameter, to like a coffee table, but it lights up underneath, and then it had a pole going straight to the ceiling. And they say, "Get up there, and after two minutes, just take off your top." And I'm like, "What the hell are you supposed to do on a coffee table?" Like, and don't. And I said, oh, cool, there's a pole. He goes, yeah, no pole work. I'm like, no pole work? Okay. So you just stand up there. Basically, you're just, it's like being in a whorehouse. And they're just like, okay, you're in the lineup. All right. So it was the weirdest thing. And this woman and this man just stared there in their little suits and stared at me for three minutes. And then I got down. And then he picked up my clipboard. And he looked at the application. And he said, he goes, I don't think it's going to work out what he's like yeah you're not our type and i'm like your type i look around you know i'm small breasted i didn't have a boob job basically i'm built like j-lo and that wasn't fashionable then but i never had a problem i look around and there's other girls shaped like me i don't see the problem he's like yeah no we got nothing for you i'm like okay that was the fucking weirdest experience. It was awkward and almost felt violating. It's like, how dare you just like treat me like that? Like they just treated me so with such like chattel. Yeah. And it was weird. It was really, really weird. But they uh-huh. looked, as soon as they looked at my application, they were like, no, we don't got nothing. And I'm like, okay. Fine, thanks. And I was pissed at him. Then I went down to Flash Dancers, and Flash Dancers was at the time was the other famous one. It was near Times Square on like 52nd. I don't know. It was on the edge of Hell's Kitchen. Yeah. It was a different kind of club. Felt more 80s style. Um, and the manager didn't look Italian. And in retrospect, he looked Albanian or Serbian or mm, okay something. 
it was, I just thought about this the other day. And I just remember thinking he didn't look Italian and he didn't look Middle Eastern. And now in retrospect, I'm thinking he was like Albanian or Serbian. Same thing. We don't got nothing for, as soon as they look at the application, we don't got nothing for you. You're not, our, you know, you, your tits are too small, he said, or something. And I look up and there's a girl looks just like me. Right. I did not understand why I couldn't get a damn job at these clubs. I never had a problem in my entire life, ever. Right. Except in Vegas, when I would leave the club I was at and go to another club. Then I might, then I had to run into some obstacles, and yeah. in retrospect, yeah. so I ended up at this place called Lace um, near Columbus Circle, and it was a brand new club. And the club that I was originally sent to was a morgue in there. Yeah, scores and flash dancers were wall to wall packed, packed. Yeah, Lace was starting up, and it was like a little closet. I mean, I swear to God, it was like my little living room. I, it, but it wasn't really set up for anything more than like, you know, dances and the laws were changing and fucking Giuliani and all this other shit. And I could not for the life of me figure out what the hell was going on. Yeah. So after a while, I just got discouraged and I was getting ready to just go back to Los Angeles. And then I got a phone call and they said, do us a favor. <laughs> There's this club that we need girls at. Can you go work there? And in retrospect, I think it made sense because the laws were funky because of fucking Giuliani and it was a really, they had to be really strict. Yeah. And I was, I, I was always the girl that wouldn't do shit on the side. I didn't do extras as they call it. Okay. But I was phenomenal on stage. So I was a good show pony. I was a good like Barker. It was like, see, we got dancers. Right. Right. So they sent me to this, they're like, we got this club out in Long Island City. You want to go out there and, and help out? Okay, I'll stay. I'll go out there. And they waived all my house fees. They gave me a, a ride home every night in a town car so I didn't have to go back to the city on the subway. It was nice. And as soon as I walked in, I felt like I was in Vegas. I was like, okay, this is cool. I could chill here. This works. I was like, what happened to the other club? It was in Queens. The, the other club. Mm -hmm. the first one yeah yeah the one they they got shut down they're like fucking Giuliani and I'm like who is Giuliani they're like he's the fucking mayor I'm like okay got it apparently nobody likes this guy <laughs> we got it and so this place was packed every night it was a kind of a, a warehouse that had been converted brief kind of into a strip club temporarily. I think it's still a strip club now under a different name. And I worked there and every night was packed with the boys. I mean, there'd be 300 Italian guys in there. Okay. Every night, just like a Scorsese movie. All of a sudden the microphone, I'm sitting there drinking with the guys and I'm sitting there and all of a sudden, the, the DJ on the microphone goes between the songs instead of like, hey, next on stage, we got Cassandra. You know, all of a sudden he goes, fuck Giuliani. And it was dead quiet. Fuck Giuliani. Said it again on the microphone. Next thing you know, you got half the, a hundred of them start going, fuck Giuliani. And then 
the guy on the microphone, the DJ, and the entire room stands up and starts fist pumping and saying, fuck Giuliani, fuck Giuliani, fuck Giuliani, <laughs> fuck Giuliani. And I'm like, okay, this is entertaining. This, this is kind of spectacular. And that's when I asked someone what was going on. And they said that he was attacking all the adult industry bars and he was changing the zoning laws and he was making it difficult. So if like, you know, this was too close to, he was using the excuse of a church or a school or even a playground or, and then sometimes they would put somebody all of a sudden would decide to open a church a little too close to the strip club. Mm -hmm. But scores didn't get hit. Flash dancers didn't get hit. So my brain started going, all right, I couldn't get hired at the clubs that weren't being hit. So I obviously have a connection to the ones that he's after. Right. But at this time, I still didn't know what I was connected to. I knew what, but not who. Yeah, because it's not like they go around with like satin jackets or something. Um, and they, don't just have, for, they don't have names. No. Name tags. Have, it's yeah. not like a convention. It's not like in Harry Potter where it's, you know, you know your house and so oh, they're Slytherin, they're wearing the colors or so. But um, yeah, just for a little bit of local color, I was living in New York City at this time. Um, we called it the Disneylandification of 42nd Street when Giuliani came in and as we perceived it living there, tried to uh, make, you know, especially uh, the Times Square area in Midtown there more palatable yeah, to it- tourists, uh, that, which... You know, it was successful. There was a lot of, you know, weird places that, that closed down that um, that aren't there anymore. And uh, the the only virtue of it is that now tourists tend to stay there and don't go elsewhere in the city, which is, if you're living there, kind of nice. But uh, but uh, fuck Giuliani was not just a sentiment expressed in these places. Like everybody in New York hated this guy's guts in 1999. People didn't. Oh really? Oh yeah, they were sick of his shit. Yeah, but, but oh, before nine awesome. eleven, he was ready to. Yeah, he was not popular at all. Yeah, I mean, really, he was. A, yeah, he was a pariah. Everyone hated him. Sure, I immediately noticed the disnification of Times Square because uh, I had previously come to New York City a couple times in nineteen eighty eight, and the difference between eighty eight and ninety nine. Ooh, yeah, yeah, crazy, crazy mm-hmm. difference. So there was something going on on the streets while I was there. I didn't talk about this in the piece, mm-hmm. but I think enough people are dead or in jail. Um, there was a there was some kind of street war going on. Okay. There was, uh, yeah, there were, there were some problems. Somebody would come in and sit and I, I overheard some things that indicated they were watching someone I knew. So I told that someone, and the next thing I know, they say thank you, and then people go do what they do. And then next thing I know, there's a problem. Next thing I know, a few of them went to the mattresses. Okay. Uh, So there was, and I saw some Russians in the clubs and stuff too. So there was a street, conflict going on with something again i don't ask questions but there was definitely something bad going on and giuliani 
there's no way that Giuliani didn't know about it. Yeah, because what wound up happening in the commission trials is that he did not take down all of the families. He only took down four of the five, right? Is that what? Well, Gotti had Paul Castellano whacked. Right. Right. And, th- and this is anybody so interested that- in this, you can listen to LB's podcast because it's like the first episode of The World Beneath talks about the, the hit. Also, on- oh, really? Yeah. yeah about yeah. the hit on mm-hmm. Paul Castellano? Castellano. Yeah. Yeah, in front of the steakhouse. Yep, before uh, we even had dinner. I mean, come on. Uh, yeah, let the guy at least have dinner. But after I left New York, I mean, I, I was in the middle of a whole life there that was even more intense than what I saw in Vegas. And what I saw in Vegas was intense. Uh, I didn't ask questions. I minded my own business. And then I went home after about three months. I worked there for about three months. So I went home and... By then the internet was a thing. So I started going, oh, I want to know what the hell I'm going, what, who the hell are these people? Yeah. So I started Googling names. It, Google didn't exist. You had Yahoo and like. Was Ask Jeeves Yahoo around yet? And, it was like, yeah. But, yeah. Shit like that. Yeah. So Netscape. I'm searching. Yeah. I'm searching nonstop and I know their names. So I'm sure the feds were like why is she searching for these names this is interesting i'm searching and i can't find anything about the people i knew and that's when i found gangland gangland with jerry capici and everything else and i was like i can't find a goddamn thing about these people i don't know why because there's all these like websites and and groups and message boards where people are talking about the mob and it's like the ones I knew didn't exist. It was weird. So then all of a sudden, three years later, the club I worked at was raided by the feds. The one in New York or the one in LA or in Vegas? In Vegas. Okay. The one in Vegas. Were you still working there when it got raided? Oh, no. No, my girlfriend was. Yeah. You had already left. Okay. I had a girlfriend who was there that day. No, but I knew all the people. So as soon as that happened and it hit the news all of a sudden all their names appeared on the mm-hmm. internet all of a sudden they didn't not exist anymore Funny which yeah i thought was really interesting that's when i could that's when i found out who i knew yeah was after the bust then there was all the info came out on the internet when they when i couldn't even find a single thing for like three years I'm like, that told me that even then the feds were good at blocking and monitoring the internet about things. They probably flagged my searches, but they didn't want certain, they, you know what I mean? They, they, they had a filter of anything that's probably being investigated has a limited access thing. And I'm sure Frank Vigliuzzi knows about that. But um, but I saw it. I was like, that's really weird. All of a sudden, these people exist. That's interesting. So I found out who I knew. And then I realized that, and I had already discovered that scores previous to when I was in New York had been busted for racketeering. And it was uh, the Gambinos. Right. And they didn't get shot down. No. And I've recently realized that Flashdancers, if it was on the edge of Hell's Kitchen, Hell's Kitchen would have been run by the Westies. 
which would track with the the with you know would track with the Serbian guy mm-hmm. connected to the Gambinos. Yeah, and it all tracks back to to Giuliani. Rudy Giuliani. Yeah, <laughs> because um, Rudy Giuliani, John Gotti was the only one who escaped prosecution until Rudy was out. Yeah, of office as a prosecutor, and he wasn't mayor yet. And Gotti That's is Gotti's, Gotti Gambi- Gotti's Gambino, right? Yeah, get, he's he was head of the Gambino. Family. I get the I get the family names mixed up sometimes. I know I, as an Italian person, I should not, but I do. So. <sighs> oh no, it's. Again, moving wheels yeah. and cogs. So, yeah, Rudy. Oh, that's what I wanted to bring up. The person who would know the most about all of this, Michael Chertoff. And why is that? Chertoff was the lead prosecutor in the the Gotti Rico trials, in the five family, the, the commission trials. And... Then he also, which I found interesting years later, I was like, okay, this guy knows something because he voted for Hillary. Mm, Yeah. He did. There's an article that comes out that, yeah, he voted for Hillary. So he knew some shit. And he's a Republican, I mean, he's a Republican guy. Staunch. He became a head of the, what was that thing? The first head of the thing they started after um 9-11 did he do homeland security or was it something else i, was, I thought Ridge no was he was the first head he was okay i thought tom nah, Ridge eventually was, was that but okay no w appointed him okay there's so, and you know james comey knows because james comey was actually in the new york da's you know the fbi area in like 87 88 he started there well it's interesting because i i yeah, Comey, and I think I might have mentioned this in the in the piece you referenced at the beginning of the podcast, the Tinker Taylor mobster spy piece that, that uh. I did with with LB back in the day, um, compared Trump to uh, Sammy the Bull Gravano. You know, just yeah, that's who we compared him to, which is an interesting comp out of the pull out of the blue. You know, uh, um, maybe that's a sign. Well, I'm s- I'm still not unconvinced that Trump didn't rat out Gravano, who ended up because of the construction connection yeah I, the, the only the only thing that that makes me think that he didn't is that gravano doesn't think that trump ratted out gravano and it seems yeah, but like gravano lies no no, no that's true too <laughs> yeah you're right you're right you got to remember they lie yeah you're right oh so, you're, right. you're right you know they, they, they there's they lie yeah so they say what they need to say to do what they need to do Right, right. So it's a grain of salt with Gravano. Yeah, generally people that are like that, that are involved with with the underworld in that way, that are involved with, I don't know, Nazi stuff and the alt-right stuff, maybe don't take them at face value every damn thing they say. is probably an important thing to know. You know? Yeah, yeah. That'd, that'd because be it, it's a neat, they live on a, a, well, the Nazi thing is a different mindset. That's, but the mob thing is a need to know basis mindset. And if it protects, if it protects them or whatever they're protecting, they'll, they'll say what they need to say to make everybody just leave it alone. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I mean, that's how this stuff has functioned, you know, for, for really for forever. So, Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, Giuliani, just to put a bow on this, I mean, 
this shit Jesus. was well this was all before uh 9-11 this was all before america's mayor and all this bullshit he you know uh, i've done deep i, I was unaware that everybody hated him oh no he was his his numbers were were i remember talking to one of the bureau chiefs at the ap after maybe six months after 9-11 and he was saying i've never seen a, a more of a 180 in american politics where someone went from being reviled to beloved than what just right with giuliani but it wasn't like we were lukewarm about it we fucking hated his guts and you know i think after the 9-11 thing people got swept up in it and whatever but he was a piece of shit before he was doing shady shit before he monetized 9-11 and his participation in it his decisions as mayor caused 9-11 to be worse and more people to die because of the placement of the uh, Office of Emergency Management at the WTC instead of elsewhere where other everybody else wanted it to be. And um, if you go read the the uh, the book by by Wayne Barrett uh, about him, Grand Illusion, um, there was things with the cell phones where he was like doing side deals, something where he was negotiating all the cell phones for the fire department. So they had shitty oh, phones. Shit. So really? you're trying to communicate and it's the fact that the communication was so crappy was also partly Giuliani's fault. So there's lots of things that he did that actually made 9-11, the decisions he made that made 9-11 worse. And whatever he did after, you know, he was a time too when he was trying to consolidate power. He wasn't supposed to run for mayor for a third term. It was illegal. He wanted to try to get to do it anyway. There was weird shit going on. He almost immediately tried to monetize it and, and you know, make as much money on his name and his his performance that day. I think it was Biden, I believe, who said, uh, it was either Biden or Comey, I get it mixed up, who said it's just a um, a noun, a verb, and 9-11 with Giuliani. I, I, you know, and that's, it's true. He just trumpeted this thing. It's the only reasonably noble thing he'd ever really done and then since then it's been a fucking shit show you know he's sort of half-assed running for president but not really he's involved with the anthrax cleanup at the, at the ami the, the the um you know the national Enquirer site down there somehow that sort of spun out of the 9-11 thing too with this idea that he's somehow some security expert even though he just allowed the worst terrorist attack in history in his city but yet he's therefore should be trusted with some sort of security issues. And then, you know, into the Trump years, he's helping Trump. He's actively helping Trump. He's in Ukraine for years before all of the stuff. Oh, went yeah. Down, and before, to, you know, yeah, go ahead. And even before Ukraine in 2012, he was lobbying Serbia. Right. OK. Yeah. Again, which is the where our, our guy Michael Michael is from. Not that Lobbying Serbia doesn't necessarily mean he's connected to Michael Michael, but it's still an interesting choice of country. And the Ukraine stuff is just he's there. He's working with the with the, with the tech people there. He's working with the corrupt government of the guy that's going to wind up leaving to go to fled to Russia. And all that Hunter Biden shit spun out of that. And we were talking before we turned the camera. I think it was before. Maybe it was during, you know, where the Hunter but the laptop Hunter Biden thing is just seems to me like an op like rudy's there trying to dig up shit the russians are obviously right there and i think that they i think that they offered hunter biden that job initially as part of the op you know he, he well that's when manafort was still there yeah i think they thought you know and I, they they do think long term like this they think who could yeah. run who can we get dirt on it's not like they know it's going to be biden well, they probably have this shit going on a lot of different no, people but 
well yeah they they're they're setting it up with a bunch of different people because if you think about it it was 2014 it was the same time they threw ukrainian trump out and manafort was working for that dude and then the burisma job happened at the same time you know within that same six month time frame but it was 2014 which would have been two years before the 16 election so they were probably setting up anybody that they think might run and biden hadn't announced but they probably assumed he would yeah, was, he was so the vice president it was completely logical so that i think that they i know that they do these things they they figure yeah. out okay who, who what's the weak link on these people how can we hit them how can we take them out and the two candidates in all of the Democratic primary that the Russians were the most eager to not have be president or vice president were Joe and Kamala. Biden hit. Yeah. Yeah. Th- those were the ones they hit the most. I'm talking about uh, in the last, in 2020. Yeah. Uh, those are the p- two p- candidates that they hit the most aggressively um, in terms of just the shit that we looked at uh, online and stuff. You, it was easy yeah. to see, even in the moment. Um, and that informed to some degree who I wanted to vote for, you know, like, if the Russians hate these people that much, then I want them, <laughs> you know, like. Oh yeah, no, yeah. that's exactly how I feel. It's like, wait, you hate that person that much? Why? Yeah, because you know they know the fucking bullshit. So, uh, and now Giuliani is just—I mean, he's his involvement with the insurrection is unforgivable, irredeemable, and he will go down. I think, and I—I I think, as just a, a snake, you know, just a viper, just a traitor, and. Uh, I hope that people, historians that go back and write about this in years to come, view him properly and not as this hero of 9-11, but as a guy who exploited 9-11, helped make 9-11 worse, and was able to, uh, in the chaos that day, appear uh, somewhat competent, in contrast to George W. Bush, who was mostly absent that entire day, right. and built his entire career and credibility out of that moment. Because as you noted, and as I noted from living there, the prevailing sentiment towards Rudy was, fuck Giuliani. Fuck Giuliani, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it was when I wrote that piece that it dawned on me, because I hadn't put all the information together. But when you said, you, hey, write a piece about that. So I started diving down the five families holes and the memories. And I, that's when it dawned on me. I'm like, Gambinos didn't go down in the commission trials. Yeah. That's kind of weird. I, I realized it then. I was like, and that's when the Russians started coming in. There you go. There you go. You Because the Gambinos maintained a huge amount of power at the same time the Russian mob started creeping up. Yeah. Yeah, they just didn't. And they worked together. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. okay, so we're, we're coming up on time. Um, so any any closing thoughts on uh, on Giuliani and mob life and gangland news or anything else before we uh well michael michael's still sitting in prison i don't know if they're trying to flip him or what i'm sure they are cahill and the other guys involved with him in the construction rackets have all been taken in yeah taken down that so there's the there's there's who knows what's going on again you can't search and find anything that you're not supposed to find um, I do think that Michael Chertoff knows so much about Rudy that he's can't say. Yeah, well, that I mean, that makes sense. I think a lot of people do. Um, you know, he's been around a long time, you know. By the way, I, well, well, this is the final thought on Rudy. 
I was on the phone this morning in my office talking to uh, to LB, uh, as I do, and I look out the window. It had snowed last night, and I see a, a, a pickup truck drive by with a snowplow on it, and I swear to God, Four Seasons Landscaping. That's what it was called. Are you on my kidding? word? I swear. I I I couldn't look. Not total landscaping. Just Four Seasons Landscaping. You know. That's funny. It is funny. And then. When I woke up and had coffee this morning, the first thing I saw when I opened Twitter was that Rudy clips on Newsmax. With that, who is that woman who works? That's a very strange. I don't know. I I can't even keep track of these people. I don't know. I don't know. It's weird. It's like pod people. Yeah, it's it's invasion of the body snatchers. I don't know how much you couldn't pay me enough money to work there, but uh, that's just how it goes. So, so you're not on Twitter. But you are on Mastodon. Nope. Where, where can we find you? You're on Mastodon. Right? On Mastodon. Yeah. Okay. Twitter Twitter won't let me be on Twitter because I I was saying things that made Twitter mad and yeah. Twitter still won't let me Twitter. Um, but maybe you they should try really being a Nazi things. and they'll let you back on. I mean, that's that's usually how Yeah, I could be a Nazi. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're, I think they're I said some, something about I said something about redneck yuppies. Wow, that's <laughs> terrible. Oh my God. Stop the press. <laughs> How dare you? Unbelievable. Yeah, that's what finally did it. I was like, are you serious? Okay, so so you're on Mastodon. In a nutshell. You're not anywhere else, are you? Is that your only social media no, presence? No, just Mastodon. That's it. Okay. So we'll look for you on Mastodon. Um, people, uh, you know, go check out the work that that Nia has done on uh, on my Prevail Substack, uh, you know, which are all excellent, interesting pieces. And I encourage you to read them. And uh, I'm much better on the page than I am being interviewed. <laughs> I think, in my opinion, I don't know. You, to- I think, I think you told the story very, very well. The fuck Giuliani story. So you know, yeah. Uh, you know what? Fuck Giuliani. <laughs> yeah, I mean well, that's really. I'll never forget it. Fuck Giuliani. Fuck Giuliani. Yeah. It was crazy. Three 300- hundred. Italian Americans in New York in Long Island City. Fuck Giuliani. Yeah. Long Island City has Never. the nicest view of the Manhattan skyline of anywhere else, by the way. That's oh yeah, the, it's beautiful. It's gorgeous there. Like if you go across that the bridge, the Pulaski Bridge, mm-hmm. like at, at night, it's just it's really, really stunning. It's beautiful there. So um I know what I was gonna pretty. say. Uh there's 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 another piece that you're working on for Prevail that someday we'll see, which I'm excited for. I'm not gonna reveal what it's yeah. about, but I'm gonna tease it because it's going to be good when it comes out. So we're excited for that. Um, yeah. Neil Molinari, thank you so much for joining me today. Great to see you. Great to see you too. Fuck Giuliani. Fuck Giuliani. Fuck Giuliani. The Prevail theme song is by Matthew Fossa. Zarina Zabriskie, Marie Kost, and Martha Acuna provided the introduction in Ukrainian, French, and Spanish, respectively. Voice talent is by Stephanie St. John, Tally Briggs, Michelle Cantor, and me. Thanks to Allison Gill, Molly Hockey, Kanai Williams, and everyone else at MSW Media. Please subscribe to the Prevail Substack with updates every Tuesday, Friday, and Sunday. Your $5 monthly subscription funds the column and the podcast. Visit gregoliar.com to learn more. Thanks for listening. Drive safely. Don't forget to tip your server. And until next time, we shall prevail.
issues of the day are really complicated. Everybody loves a good hot take, but really understanding an issue takes some digging. I'm Asha Rangappa. I teach national security law at Yale University. I'm a former FBI special agent, and I'm a legal and national security analyst. And I'm Renato Mariotti. I'm a former federal prosecutor, a practicing lawyer, and a legal analyst. And we're here to help you understand topics that can't be boiled down to a soundbite or a tweet. Join us each week as we dig deep into pressing legal topics. Listen to It's Complicated anywhere you get your podcasts and check out our YouTube channel.